0: Just keep going and keep following your curiosities because that is what led me here. And I recall working in startups and in, in my jobs in B.C. With, with founders. And when I switched from a startup to VC, I realized, oh, I'm so jealous of the founders. Like, I just want to be building. What they're doing is way cooler than what, than what we're doing. And so I had always dreamed of starting a company. I just didn't know what it would be. And I had many ideas, many horrible ideas that I that I tried and um, realized, Okay, that they're not going to be the one or someone else is doing it way better than I am. And I'd love to just support them in that effort. And so I just kept trying and I kept following my curiosities and they ultimately led me here.
1: Welcome to the Supercharger with Digital Markester, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything related to entrepreneurship and finding success in building business online. And I'm your host and also the co-founder of Markester, Kazuki. And in today's episode, we have an exciting guest, Maura, a founder of Memento Mori, a business that helps people navigate end-of-life conversation with purpose and compassion. And then in today's episode, our topic is all about building business with purposes So I'd like to kind of introduce Maura to our podcast. Uh, Welcome to our Marcus's podcast. We are super excited to have you. Before we begin, please share with us who you are and what you do. And we'd love to know a little bit more details of what you currently are doing.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. To tell you a little bit more about myself, I'll start from the very beginning. I was born and raised in Philly by my two moms and with my sister and our dogs. A fun fact is my weakness is definitely ice cream. I like to make my own and (laughs) will always try new flavors. I grew up as an athlete playing soccer and lacrosse, and I love adventure. I love scuba diving, grew up skiing, even been skydiving. I'm definitely a try-everything-once type of person. Wow! I attended the University of Vermont for college where I studied anthropology, I enjoyed learning about different cultures and why people are the way they are. And it was there that I actually fell in love with snowboarding. I switched from skiing. I thought it was cooler. And during that time, though, is when my mother died. And so when I graduated, I had no plans. I tried interviewing for jobs in the city and I just hated it. I wanted to be in the mountains, so I ended up moving to Aspen, Colorado, which is where I had my first job post-college as a wedding planner. Lots of crazy stories from that time. However, I ended up leaving Aspen after two years to pursue my interest in the startup world and thought, what better place to do it? Then in San Francisco, so I moved out to San Francisco, found a really crazy cheap apartment or a room, I should say, for 700 bucks. That was cheap for San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. They nicknamed the room the nursery because it was so small, but it was the only way I was going to make it out there without a job. So I, I moved there, found a job at a startup, followed a curiosity within that to early stage venture, and then more recently got my MBA at the University of Michigan, and now I'm working on Memento Mori.
1: Wow! I mean, I have to be—I on- have to be like honest with you. Like you have been going through so many things in just like a whole life, and it's just quite amazing. Like, wh- why did you started your career as a wedding planner in the first place? And then now you moved to the startup field, and there's so much story there that I feel like it hasn't been told.
0: Yeah, there's a ton. There's a ton to that. The story behind the wedding planning gig was actually because I grew up as a host, really. My parents always hosted people. I was really privileged and really fortunate to grow up in this beautiful place called Mount Airy in Philadelphia. I had a big backyard with a pool, so and I was close to school. So my house always became the house where friends came over, family came over. We loved entertaining, and so that was just something I was so used to doing. And when I moved to Aspen, I was looking for different types of jobs. You know, I held, I got like five at first all in hospitality, but I didn't really want to be a waitress. I didn't want to work at a bar. I wanted more of a, a stable nine to five and events is way more than nine to five. But I ended up finding a connection through a friend on Facebook, a friend I grew up with. She knew this woman who was running her own business and I cold emailed the woman and I said, hi, like my friend is Camilla, you guys know each other from Maine. I'm obsessed with what you do. I'm obsessed with your your, your business. You know, it was not eloquent. I was t- in my early 20s. I had no idea what I was doing. But basically, I just hounded her until she gave me an internship. And then I turned that internship into a full-time job. And I loved it because I was working with people. I was helping them see their vision from scratch to a live event. And I really brought in my interest in hosting and designing events and, and having experiences.
1: Wow. That's really cool. Cause you know, like I never really had met someone like who went from, you know, wedding planner all the way to, you know, startup field. And I know like working in a startup is a completely different world. And now you own your own businesses, which is super, super cool. And it kind of brings me to the second kind of questions, which is I um, have it in my notes. What really inspired you to start Memento Mori and focus on the end life planning in the first place? Because I know you mentioned a little bit what you've done previously in your life, but there's nothing correlates to you know what you're doing right now, except your tragic stories and whatnot. But you have gone through a lot. So I'm kind of curious, like what was the founding story behind Memento Mori and why did you start that journey?
0: yeah. So before I answer that, I'll just tie in something, which is when I left Aspen, I was working at the wedding planning company and I just would have this moment when the brides would walk down the aisle with their father, whoever was giving them away. And Man. I'd get sad because I'd envision myself one day getting married and and know that my mom wasn't going to be there. And so it was part of that feeling where I was starting to just like not feel so great doing these weddings. and And part of it everyone wants the same type of mountain chic wedding um, (laughs) that I was like, okay, it's time. It's time to move on. And and literally just woke up one day and had this feeling like I have to go. But while I was there, since it was a hospitality town, it was difficult to know when people were around to hang out. So I actually started tinkering around the idea with building a mobile app. And it was because I was tinkering with that mobile app idea that I was like, okay, let's go to San Francisco. Let's try and learn more about it, find someone to help build it. But so that's sort of the connection to moving into the startup world. And ironically, now I'm helping people plan funerals. So going from wedding planning to funeral planning, it feels very full circle for me. And it's something I've been through and and can help people with versus having never been married or anything like that. So the inspiration behind Memento Mori itself is also A crazy long story that I'll try and keep super brief, but obviously, (laughs) obviously, you know, some of the inspiration comes from my mother, Maureen, and going through the experience of losing her and planning that funeral and understanding after the fact, the importance of preparing ahead and having these conversations specifically, like to provide you an, an example. I'm so grateful that I was able to be by my mother's side when she died. The, the time I got the phone call to the time we held her funeral was only two weeks. And it was simultaneously the fastest and the slowest two weeks of my life. But I can't imagine where I would be today if I hadn't gotten that experience. And some of the things I was able to get out of that experience was asking her to write things down. And one of those examples include a list that I I wrote down and I said, what are your favorite vacations? What are your favorite memories? What are your favorite recipes? What's your favorite color, your favorite animal, like simple, simple things. And then I had her write down the answers in her own handwriting. And I have photocopied that piece of paper a thousand times today. I cherish it. It's so important to me. But I, you know, she couldn't finish it because she was so sick. And I only was able to do that because I quickly thought ahead, you know, and she died only days later. And so behind the the inspiration is this experience of, okay, planning ahead can really save you some some headaches and can alleviate the burden, but not only that can provide you with cherished memories that you otherwise wouldn't have. And then, more recently, I had this experience going into my second year of business school. It was about a week and a half long experience of back-to-back events, uh, a week and a half to two weeks, where it started as I was attending a wedding in Colorado for a friend I had met in Aspen, and we had bonded over the fact we had lost parents early in our in our early 20s. She asked me to read a poem about lost loved ones at her wedding. And the poem was beautiful, makes me cry every time I read it. But it was at that wedding that tragically one of her friends from college, a guest at the wedding, died the night before the wedding. And we didn't find out until the morning of. And as you can imagine, that was devastating to not only the bride and the groom, but their friends that were there. And it got my gears turning of just like wow, what is his family going to do? How are they going to be informed? What's the obituary going to say? How are they going to transfer his body back home? And then the juxtaposition of being at a wedding and having someone die made me realize there's a lot of commonalities between weddings and funerals. Despite them being completely different events, like logistically, you have to invite people, you have to get a venue, you have to write speeches. You have to potentially get food and music and and other things like that. And you're doing it all under the intense grief that you were probably experienced from the death of a loved one. And so right after the wedding happened on Saturday, Sunday, I flew out to Alaska to go backpacking with a bunch of students from um, business school. And three things happened on this trip was one, I had an amazing guide who asked us, What were the highs and lows of your 20s? And instantly I knew my low was losing my mom. It's so profound. I struggled to even come up with a high. And by sharing that, he actually opened up to me that he had recently lost his father. And we just talked a lot about that and reflected on that. The other thing that happened was I had almost a near-death experience myself. The conditions were miserable. It was raining the entire time. It was freezing cold. Winds were crazy. And because of that, there was a lot of mud and I ended up slipping and almost falling off the mountain, I sprained my ankle, didn't even realize it because of the adrenaline, kept hiking seven more miles, I think that day. And then the next day we had to get up and, and hike out and we needed to be down by a certain time so we could connect with our transportation. So it was very important that we kept up our, our speed, our pace when we were walking. I quickly realized I could not carry the weight of my 60 pound back anymore. That something was seriously wrong with my foot. And so I broke down. I had this crazy experience where I realized, okay, my biggest fear is coming true. Because early on the first day, they asked us what our fears were surrounding the trip. And I said something really superficial, like getting eaten by a bear. Because, you know, bears were a potential threat. We wore bear spray. But I didn't really know. And then I quickly realized on that last day, wow, my biggest fear is asking for help. I don't want to have to ask anyone for help. I want to do it all myself. I don't want to burden anyone else. But I had to. I had to ask for help. I had to put my weight on other people's shoulders, literally, to get us down the mountain. And that was just a really transformative moment for me. And then we flew back the next day after we hiked out. And I went to class for my first day of my, you know, my last day of business school type of thing. And I was prompted to pitch a business. So that long-winded story is those events at the wedding and in Alaska were swirling around my head when I was prompted to pitch an idea for a business. So I pitched the idea of wilderness hospice care. And that is where the initial idea for memento mori was born and then over the course of the semester doing research and whatnot it, it formed to what it is today
1: wow <laughs> i mean i'm Sorry. literally in a in a all right now like it's it's just like i feel like everything that you've gone through it was just a preparation for what is the what you're doing right now it's it's crazy
0: truly yeah
1: if you were to look back at yourself how do you feel about it? Like that you're doing your own business right now, and then back then you were going through a lot of things. Like, me, like some people were speaking to you the truth about what you're going to be doing in the in, in the right now. But I'm curious, like, what, if you were to look back a little bit, how do you feel all about you know doing your own businesses and now doing with yeah. everything with purposes?
0: I mean, if I were to look back, even even a few years when I was in working in startups, I was working in venture capital. I would say. Just keep going and keep following your curiosities because that is what led me here. And I recall working in startups and in in my jobs in B.C. with with founders. And when I switched from a startup to VC, I realized, oh, I'm so jealous of the founders. Like, I just want to be building. What they're doing is way cooler than than what we're doing. And so I had always dreamed of starting a company. I just didn't know what it would be. And I had many ideas, many horrible ideas that I that I tried and um, realized, Okay, that they're not going to be the one or someone else is doing it way better than I am. And I'd love to just support them in that effort. And so I just kept trying and I kept following my curiosities and they ultimately led me here. So, yeah, it does kind of feel like every turn I made is 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 how I ended up here.
1: Wow. Wow, that's a lot of a lot of <laughs> steps to go through. To be honest,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a winding journey. It has not been a straight path, but because of that, it has also not been boring.
1: Yeah, I mean, I admire that entrepreneur spirit. Like that's that's what should keep you going. So that's really cool. So my next question is actually kind of more towards you know building memento mori and obviously it's, it's from building from scratch and mentioned a little bit you know it's a still baby still about to come alive so can you walk us through the process of building memento mori from idea to launch and i know you touched more about it and previously i'm kind of curious like in a perspective of building as an entrepreneur because i know people who's listening to our podcast wondering like i want to start a business but Having an idea is great, but building that idea is something that is completely different from the normal process that everyone's goes through. So we'd love to hear what kind of challenges you faced during the process of creating it. And, you know, one of the, un- especially this is untapped industry. So how did you overcome those challenges? And we'd love to hear a little bit more about that, too.
0: Yeah, this this is going to be great advice. <laughs> I'm biased. I hope it's great advice for whoever is listening that that has an idea and wants to start something and to share my challenges, which is, you know, it's all talk until you start actually doing something. You can have an amazing idea. It really, it doesn't matter. The whole, this, this one's funny because I remember when I first started out and my, my, my mom, who's still alive today, my other mom, I grew up with two moms, gay parents. It can get confusing if I don't specify that. She was, she'd say, you know, how do you know someone's not going to steal your idea? Or how do you know? You know, she's a lawyer by trade. So it makes sense for her. And I had to explain to her, it's just, it's not how it works in startup land. You you have an idea. And unless you're building something that you can patent or is, you know, super technological, anyone, has an, anyone can have an idea. Usually your ideas aren't novel. Someone's had it before. And it's all about execution. It it, it truly is. And so if you're just starting out, it's great that you have an idea. You'll have millions of ideas. And what's more important is to understand whether or not you're passionate about this idea. So, for instance, my first year of business school, I was working on a completely different business. I was working on customizable jeans. Because I just thought it was crazy that we were living in in 2020 and there were, you know, it was impossible to buy a pair of jeans that fit you correctly. And so I was working on that and actually met another woman at Haas who was working on the same thing. And ultimately, I decided to give it up because I did more research. I looked into the margins. It didn't seem like it was going to be an easy business to build. And at the end of the day, I just didn't care about it enough. And so that's also an important thing to learn is that if you're building a business, ideally this is something you're gonna be working on for the next decade, maybe even longer. So you really need to be passionate about it. That passion can come and go, but you know it's important that it's something that you are are willing to work on for, for the next 10 years. And so the number one thing that I did and, and why I'm working on this business now is that, through pitching it over and over again in school, I just felt like this made sense. I had had so many ideas and finally this one made sense. It was a calling. And I was really lucky that I had the support of the University of Michigan and and some some interesting programs that they had to help you develop an idea to launch. But that being said, I also did a lot of the work on my own. I sought out a lot of folks who had done it before me. I think the best way to learn are from other founders. So get on Twitter as my number one piece of advice, start producing content about your ideas and you will find other people who are working on them or want to work on it with you. And then, you know, what I actually did tangibly to, to go from idea to launch was at first do research. So I did hundreds of hours of research online about the industry You don't need to do hundreds of hours. You can do 10 hours and that'll be enough. Then I did customer discovery interviews. So from my research, I was able to see, okay, who are all the stakeholders in this potential business? That's funeral home directors. That's people who have lost a loved one. That's hospices. That's many other folks. And so I made it my mission to go and talk to every single one of them. So I did about 50 plus customer discovery interviews. There's a great book called The Mom Test, which everyone should read. You can read it in a day and it'll help you with the validation process of going from idea to launch. And the validation process is extremely important because you should be validating every idea you have before you invest any money into it to launch it. And so then I started building my prototypes. After I had talked to people, I felt like I had honed in on what their problem was and a solution to solve it. And so through that, I did some prototyping with using Typeform, which is just a survey. You don't even have to use Typeform. You can use Google Forms. There's so many options out there. And I started testing that with folks and was able to validate my target audience's behavior and attitudes toward the product itself. And from there, I went back to the drawing board to iterate. You know, they, they talk about this design cycle where you prototype you get feedback, you iterate, and you do it all over, over and over again. And the quicker you can do that, the faster you'll actually get to the product that you want to launch. And that's basically the method I use to launch Memento Mori. And so, you know, it was hand-drawing wireframes, working with people on on Figma to produce those hand-drawn wireframes, to low-fidelity type, to I worked with an agency through grant funding to make high fidelity wireframes. And now I'm partnering with a team called Good Work to actually build the MVP on Bubble.
1: Wow. So you guys are using like a no-code tools to build your app as well. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the way to go. Like we're seeing those trends. You can build anything these days with no code. That being said, I'm not technical trying to learn on no code. Could I do it? Yes. Do I want to do it? Not really. Could I hire someone to do it better than me? Absolutely. And so part of that, though, is connecting with the right people. Took me six months to find the right people to build with. And I'm lucky that I found them. You'll hear many cautionary tales of people who have spent money and projects haven't worked out. So I would caution you not to immediately spend any money. Use constraints as your superpower because oftentimes even your competitors are just throwing money at problems when they they really don't need to be doing that. And then some of the other challenges I faced that I didn't touch on was that I wasted so much time in business school pitching instead of building. So again, back to that point of iterating on your product cycle, just build, get building and and hold yourself to like, I'm going to build this thing this week and then test it. And the next week we're going to build this, you know, have, we can get into all of that later, but just building because you'll waste so much time not doing that and building takes so much longer than you actually think it does.
1: Wow. I mean, I wish uh, Nike created this slogan called just build instead of just do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. That's exciting. I know we talked a little bit more about the business and everything, but how, how do you feel in terms of your personal experience with, you know, end of life conversations and influence? how it influenced uh you know the mission of Memento mori because i know you know you talked you shared about us a little bit of your, how your mom passed away and how you know things did you talk with the how interacted with the people that actually spoke to you the truth and everything but what it was the true influence behind those mission of you know memento mori and why you wanted to really focus on that field so you can actually you know not only help other people but also this you, what you're doing is disrupting the whole Industry Because nobody ever really touched that since I don't know, like decades. so I'm really yeah. curious to know your personal influence on that.
0: I'd say a lot of it came from the obviously the experience I had losing my mother, which i which I touched on briefly, but also it was during those customer discovery interviews that I had with people because working in death care is has its own unique challenges, and especially trying to get people to talk to me about their experience with death, be it. They work in the industry, or be it that they lost a loved one, or that they're dealing it with themselves, was really hard. I relied a lot on friends to connect me with their friends, to family members, to people they knew, because it's uh, awkward to just ask the world, ask the internet, like, if you're dealing with loss, would you mind talking about it with me for my <laughs> research purposes? You know, there's a better way I, to say that, and I did, I did do some cold emailing, but it was. Through those customer discoveries I learned a couple of things. One which was people who have experienced loss, whether we like it or not, we are bonded by being in this club. And typically depending on when you've experienced the loss, are more willing to talk about it. Yet there doesn't really seem to be a ton of platforms to do it. There are dedicated companies working on grief support which are wonderful. But when you think about it as someone who either is grieving or not grieving, nothing really comes to mind. You just sort of think of individual therapists. At least I do. And then the other thing that I noticed was in my research was that hashtag grief had over 6 billion views on TikTok. And people were just going on TikTok, sharing their experience, losing their loved one. And a lot of this had to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. And I that is definitely an influence into why, you know, we're seeing a death positive movement and why people are more willing to talk about death, dying and grief. But it was was the combination of those two things that made me realize, okay, there's there's something here. And in sharing those stories, people told me about instances where they wish they had had something like my business before I even shared really what the business was about. They wish that they could have shop for caskets online, they wish that they had known that they should have put their jewelry in a safe deposit box before hiring a caregiver, not because the caregiver took anything, but because it is a rare, it is a chance that that could happen. And just moving your, your highly valued goods out of the house eliminates any anxiety about that. And so are like these little nuggets of information that you only know if you've gone through the experience yourself. And that these people are willing to share, willing and wanting to share, but don't know where to do it, don't know how to do it. And the folks that need that information don't know how to access it. And so I wanted to bridge that gap. I wanted to crowdsource the information from everyone and provide it for folks. And and what I realized in a way to do that was also preparing ahead from my own experiences. So some of these things can't be done after the fact. And you have to prepare ahead of time and what I also realized through that through my personal experience with losing my mom is I lost her to breast cancer and she had had breast cancer my entire life I remember she first got sick when I was only five or six years old and then she you know she went into remission she was fine I didn't really think anything of it until she got sick when I was in ninth grade my freshman year of high school and I Vividly remember being downstairs in my living room trying to write an essay for class, and I could hear my mom throwing up upstairs from the chemo. And that was just, you know, it was really difficult as a teenager to deal with that. But at the same time, my parents tried to protect me from it because they didn't want me to hear that. They didn't want, you know, they wanted to protect me. And I think to some extent, between Trying to protect me and also the way society handles cancer and how we have this culture around like survivor mentality is difficult because I the combination of being young and you know thinking my okay, my mom's beat this twice already and she's a survivor, like she'll never, she'll die, but she won't die from cancer is is really what I thought. So when she did die from cancer, I was just totally unprepared for it. And I think, you know. This is a very difficult conversation, but just in general, death is still taboo in the United States. And we're doing ourselves a disservice by not talking about it and not normalizing that it's an inevitable fact of life and that the best time to prepare for it is when you're young and healthy and not when you're in crisis mode or when you're too sick to feel or be or seeing your normal self. And so it was definitely those types of things that really experienced the mission behind Memento Mori of okay, let's normalize talking about death, let's destigmatize it, let's help people live better lives by preparing and, and contemplating mortality.
1: Wow. It's really truly amazing. Like I literally had Coco, the movie Coco in my mind. Like literally it's about, you know, really I still cherishing have to watch that. On.
0: I need to watch it. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's really, really good. Like, I strongly recommend it because it's like, it's like really honoring the death as well. But at the same time, it's like you're doing something to really help, you know, remember the good things and good times. So, um, definitely recommend that. But yeah, I mean, what you're doing is really inspirational. To be honest, like I know like a lot of audiences will probably wonder at the beginning, like, wow, like why, why, why do you want to get into that field? You know, it's right. So it's really interesting to hear your missions and your what your drives and why you know helps you get up in the morning and every day. So it's really cool that you share that. In terms of the next questions, I have something kind of more related to, you know, planning for the end of life. So my next question is what do you think is the biggest barrier for people when it comes to planning for the, you know, the end of life and all those conversations that people have to go through on all the plannings?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest barrier for end of life planning is definitely the fact that it's it's just taboo. It's that people don't want to think or talk about it. And if you don't want to think about something, you definitely don't want to talk about it, and you're definitely not going to do it. And so, really, that's why a big part of Memento Mori is focused on content and engaging, finding ways to engage people in that that are, that is thought provoking, interesting, valuable creative, using design to approach the subject in a new way, because I certainly can talk about it all day long, but I know that that's not the average person's experience. And so my job is to try and help others, guide others, create things to engage their minds in a way that they haven't thought about death before. I, I have a tagline. I say, death is only morbid if you miss the point. And it Man. took me almost 10 years to get to this point. I didn't always want to talk about it. I didn't see always see the value in it. And it was really the shift of contemplating mortality for me that that got me thinking about wow, this has transformed my life. I think it can transform the lives of others. And I just want to help people. And so if they find it helpful, that's amazing. And if not you know that i hope they find some other way to contemplate mortality cuz cuz in the end we all die and so it's helpful to talk about it and process it instead of just ignoring it and pushing it away so that's definitely one barrier i think it's the main one the biggest challenge but the other one i would say is probably access and trust within the medical system some people might not see the point in advanced care planning because they just don't have the information or haven't been educated about it. But by planning ahead, by doing advanced care planning specifically, we're not even talking about like the emotional and sentimental side of all of this by creating rituals and writing letters ahead of time and, and, and those things simply just like about your medical power of attorney who you want to make decisions for you. In case in case you can't make them yourself, or what type of life support you'd like, or care in in hospice, those things, you know, people say, oh, I don't need a will because I have I don't have a house. Well, you you need a living will because you're a person and you value you are valuable, you matter. So it's about your health. It's not about your assets, and that's what we're working on. And so it can be difficult for people if they don't trust the medical system, if if they don't see value in, in this type of planning. So again, it really comes back to content and trying to educate and inform people in new and engaging ways on how to do it. Because right now, you could go download a free advanced directive online. But why would you want to do that if you've never contemplated mortality before? Like, that sounds awful. It's a, it's a piece of paper that asks you like, okay who's going to make decisions for you and like do you want this type of life so, like it's awful if no <laughs> one wants no one wants to do that <laughs> so we need to create a new system that is actually valuable and engaging for people that will make a difference in their lives
1: wow yeah that's super interesting and i like i'm curious like how do you guys really help with that Like, especially like you know with what you're trying to do with momentum or like how do you guys navigate through all these you know things that you just mentioned that just before
0: yeah, I would say it's definitely our secret sauce. And so I'm working on a really exciting project right now that I cannot wait to release to the world. Like, I'm so excited for it. I hope well, people like <laughs> it as much as I do. But it's it's through thinking about death in another lens. And so, you know, it's asking questions. It's sharing stories. It's creating community and inviting people in to be a part of that. Whereas the way it's done now is isolated, it's cold, it lacks design, and it just hasn't been given the, the room and attention that I think it deserves. And so we help with people just understanding at first, like, what does it mean? What does death mean to you? What do you think happens? when you die. Like people don't even think about that simple question, you know, is there an afterlife or is there not? That can have a big impact on whether or not you have fears about death. Often people who believe in an afterlife are much less fearful of death. And then that moves on to contemplating like, where, what version of yourself do you want to be on your deathbed, and what version of yourself are you now? And if it's not the same, let's assess and make sure we make some changes and adjustments so we can get you to where you want to be. Because ultimately, the amazing thing about contemplating death is that it just brings you back to assess your quality of life right now and realizing that life is very fleeting. What truly matters to you? Often it's either your work or your family. And how can you do more of the things that make you happy? And, you know, we, we, we live life often just letting it pass us by. And that's to no fault of our own. I blame technology for a lot of that. The mobilizations, mobilization of Americans where we've disabled the nuclear family. Like when your grandpa or grandma dies, usually you get a phone call and you're not there. We're so far removed from death that we just need to come back to it a little bit more.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. Like the project that you're working on, because that's a lot to take in. Like, you know, it has to be something, not only go, doing research to find out more about it, but you have to find the right person to really get the information to get the project done. And so that's really cool. Yeah, so... I have a couple of three more questions to kind of go through, but I really want to know, I know you touched a little bit of your failure and then your personal experiences and whatnot, but in terms of setbacks of, you know, failure you had in previous work or current things that you're doing while building Memento Mori, but how did you turn it into an opportunity for growth? Because I know you're, I believe you're doing everything on your own. You mentioned about building apps and everything. And I know as a solo entrepreneur, it's tough. <laughs> it's Especially, it feels you know. Sometimes you get to feel lonely. You get you don't have people to support you sometimes, and that's really tough. So, how did you navigate those setbacks and failures in the first place? And how did you turn that into opportunity for your own personal growth as well as your business growth?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's so important to always learn from your mistakes and use them to your advantage. And one of the biggest shifts that I made that was really beneficial was. Not viewing potential projects as failures, but viewing them as experiments. So just shifting my mindset from, "Okay, I'm going to test out this experiment to from like, I'm going to build this thing and it might fail and it might suck and people might hate it. And that, that shift, just that language shift has been so powerful for me because it has given me the opportunity to fail And has taken the pressure off of that everything needs to be perfect. And when you're building in the early stages, if you the classic trope like you, you wait until everything's perfect to launch. It's too late, and it couldn't be you know more true. And so, what I learned early on is you know six months into this, I was like, damn, I wish I knew what I knew now six months ago. But you have to embrace the journey. Like you're never going to know now. And so all you can do is just learn from the things that you that you have grown from and those mistakes and use them to your advantage. So I would say, you know, I touched on one, which was that, that pitch deck, like unique to business school. I was in many co- pitch competitions and just so focused on refine the pitch, refine the pitch, refine the pitch. And then after like three months of pitching, I didn't even have a product and that just felt really silly. But I think another unique setback or or thing to learn from was early on, I met with some VCs because I was pitching and I got feedback from them. And a no from a VC, A is just one more meeting closer to getting a yes. And B can be valuable feedback. You have to take everything with a grain of salt because they will share all of their opinions and one firm will have the exact opposite opinion. But you can use it as a way to set what your next milestone should be. You know, they're gonna go and tell you you need X, Y, and Z for us to give you money. So go out and do X, Y, and Z. And before you do, obviously assess if that's the right move for you. But that was a that was a learning for me that I took to heart and initially got, you know, told, Oh, you need a technical fo- co-founder, you need more traction, you need this and that. And so I went out and did it. And then I went back and I got more feedback and I went out and did it. It's just, again, it's this like iterative cycle of like keep building and learn from from the mistakes that you
1: make. Wow, that's like a tough love from VC. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it is for sure. Yeah, they will humble you. But you got, like I said, you got to take it from a grain of salt because a lot of folks I talk to, they know nothing about this space. Some get it, some don't get it. And that'll always be the case. So you really need to not let those, Types of meetings knock you down and go into them more strategic. Uh, None of them I went into actually looking to raise money, but I viewed them as okay, this is a great opportunity to start the conversation, to get to meet them, understand what their thesis is on this industry. Do we even align on that? And is this someone I would want to work with for the next 10 years too?
1: Interesting. Now that you mentioned, you know, next 10 years and, you know, Thinking forward, I would love to know, what is the next step for you and Memento Mori? Yeah,
0: so the next step is launching this MVP and this other project, which I'm super excited about. But things have actually taken a little bit of a turn since we last spoke, which is that I've been offered a a part-time to move eventually full-time position as a director of operations at a hospice. And so this is an exciting opportunity for me to get more exposure in the industry to actually pilot my product with folks who are in hospice and need end of life planning and so going to be using that as a way to refine the MVP before we you know do a, do a real launch and so I'm really excited for for that next step it's going to be quite the experience to, you know, to be with folks who are dying. I have the experience of my mother, but beyond that, I haven't been around a ton of dying people. And so I will be offering not only my position as the director of operations, but my experience as a death doula and offering those services as well. And so I'm really excited to take that experience and put it within Memento Mori to refine the product even more.
1: Wow, that's that's like, uh, you know, ah, it's like a one step close to, the, you know, the is coming true. So it's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's where it's like, you know, put one foot forward, one foot in front of the other and keep going. And for folks out there, like if you have an idea, you don't need to immediately quit your job. I was in a unique situation that after I graduated school, it was kind of like, OK, I won some money. I have some memento, momentum. Everything else is so unappealing to me right now. Like, let's go out and chase this. And like, thanks Biden for delaying student uh, loan payments. So it truly was like certain circumstances that allowed me to go do this. But yeah, it's like, go get a part-time job in whatever field you want to build in. Like, get hands-on experience because you need it and they'll help you build faster. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Like, it's, it's like it's that taking the leap of faith and then, you know, Finish. taking that risk to make your ideas come through. So, um, Maurer, um, before we close our episode, I, I like to ask you this is more for personal to you and then to the wider audiences. So, what advice do you have for anyone who's look, uh, looking to start a business today or maybe in the future? And, you know, obviously, some people already have their businesses that are there right now, but, you know, it's It's a bit challenging, right? So what advice would you give to them? and also people who's actually listening to a podcast could be also people who got recently laid off, so they they're confused they they don't know what to do with themselves, and they they might want to get some you know, inspirations and advice. And I know for you as well, like you know you decided your own path and building your own business. So what is the advice that you would you would give it to those audiences that looking for you know the brighter future ahead?
0: Yeah. I'll give a couple pieces, some more tangible than others. But the first thing would be, if you have an idea or like this, you know, if you if you don't have an idea, I'd say just go have a ton of experiences. Go say yes to everything, go on a trip, go to dinner, sign up for a pottery class, like take an online business class, like do, do everything, do whatever, because experiences are what ultimately lead you to a problem. But if you do have an idea... I would say start posting about that industry, that topic, that problem, whatever it is on LinkedIn or Twitter, pick a platform, go all in on it. You're going to meet amazing people who are also working in that area want to help you and, and follow those people and DM me if you want more notes on that because there's there's more to it, but just start producing content on that area. Then the next thing is read the mom test and go out and do customer discovery interviews. And then some of the other advice is don't be afraid. Like, it's really scary, but you can do it. And people have started businesses in areas they've never worked in before. It's obviously better if you do have that experience, but it's not impossible to do it. Case in point, I've never worked in the death care industry, but I'm taking my knowledge from the wedding industry, creating memorable events, taking my experience a personal loss, losing my mother, and now I've gotten a job in the field. And so it's possible to create that knowledge for yourself. The other thing is the market is never too crowded. It's never too crowded. I just have to say that again. Like You can start a CBD business. You can start a coffee business so long as you have a unique point of view and distribution strategy. So just off the bat, don't let anyone crush your dreams because you want to go start something in a saturated market. Um, As long as you have a unique point of view and distribution strategy combined with like awesome branding, you you can do it. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. The other thing is, it's going to take way more time and money than you think it will. But now there's never been a better time to start a business because of no code tools. And again, Twitter has like amazing resources also if you're looking to understand culture and people and your audience reddit is a gold mine create a profile on reddit sleuth, write comments interact like you'll see crazy things on there you might not wish you had seen but in truly to understand people reddit is amazing and then also, like, seek mentors. Don't be afraid to cold call. But you need to be really thoughtful and personalized with everything you do. And it's going to take you a little bit longer, but it will get you, you know, it will get you to where you want to be in the in the long run, too.
1: Awesome. Well, before we end, like, make sure to, you know, check out the Twitter because, you know, Elon Musk is really doing it right. So (laughs) I guess it's, uh, (laughs) this is not advertising for Twitter. This is not sponsored. (laughs) But yeah, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. And thank you so much, Mara, for joining us to, you know, talk about, you know, your businesses as well as what it's like to building businesses for purpose. Like, it's really amazing. Really honored to have you on our podcast and we hope that this episode is really valuable for you for you um, as well as everyone thank you so much for listening to our podcast if you enjoyed this show please follow and rate and review us on po- uh, Apple Podcast as well as Spotify and be sure to come back in two weeks for a discussion of another entrepreneurship and until then this is our host Kazuki and don't forget don't stop and keep believing see you next time